0: And there's things that they do. I think great events do the same things. So when I walk in there, I'm greeted warmly. And some of them know me by name. Like they've gone to the trouble of figuring out who I am. I'm like, I have no clue who you are. I (laughs) I don't remember your name, but you know who I am. And I hope it's not because I'm that kind of patient. So they make you feel welcome. They've got a really great place for you to sit. They don't make you wait very long. There's constant, constant movement. And they're not treating you like... There's something ill about you that they want to value you. And I think similar things happen at great events.
1: This conversation took me by surprise. I didn't really know where it was going to go, but I was really anticipating something great for you all as the listeners, because I know you have experiences. I know you host experiences. You want to go to a really awesome experience, conferences, retreats, all the things. Events are powerful. They're transformational when the space is curated with thought and with intention behind it. And today's expert, Phil Marichon, he talks all about that in his new book. It's called Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. And when I read it as a pre-show exploration, I thought, wow, like I was just shaking my head. This is so good and it's going to serve my community in such a dynamic way because I know you all often see what it is that we do as a Fit and Faith Media, as what we do through the Founder Collective. With the founder con, we're always throwing experiences, retreats, anything where we can get in person with people. One, I love a good hug, uh, but two, I love eye contact. I love to experience people's energies, and I want them to leave transformed every single time. I don't care if I'm doing a podcast retreat, a book writing retreat, or an all immersive conference for faith and business collision. It to me, it matters. Every detail matters. And it ultimately is not about perfection, it's about excellence. And that's what the Father has called us into. And that's how Phil has shown up, not just for this conversation, but for the book that he has now provided as an incredible resource to you if you are processing how do I create a really good event. All right, so you've got to get your hands on it. All of the show notes have the links for you to go ahead and purchase. And additionally, Tune in and take notes. We have some activities. We have some things I've never thought about. I was taking notes at the very end on some things I want to incorporate in an upcoming event that we have. So yeah, you're going to love it. I'm so excited for you to tune in and make sure you share it. And if you would leave a review, that truly is like golden nuggets for podcasters. You literally just go to the bottom of the show put five stars. Of course, if we earn five stars and write a review about this particular conversation or any conversation that you've heard before on the Fit and Faith podcast. I appreciate you as a loyal listener. I love you so much. And we are so excited to continue to serve you in a dynamic way. I've got some fun plans for the future of the podcast. So stay tuned and share it out with a friend. Thanks guys. Listen up. For such a time as this, we must grow our faith and business muscles. The self-help industry is trying to own spirituality and well-being. The entrepreneurial space is becoming flooded with business pursuits focused on success instead of sustenance. But the only one who can make us fully whole, fully free, and fully alive is Jesus. So I'm ecstatic you walked into this hypothetical gym today. I'm your trainer, Tamara Andress, also coined an entrepreneurial rabbi. Teaching the pursuits of God, which unveil our purpose and ultimately unleash our desired provision. This FIT acronym is for founders, innovators, and trailblazers. Here, marketplace ministers conversate and educate to build others from the inside out while also sharing their testimonies of endurance. So, while it's not a fitness podcast, I do surely care about your mental, physical, emotional, relational, financial, and spiritual health. You're going to hear all about it. If you're passionate about your becoming journey, leading others to greatness, and living a life of abundance and joy, then you're well on your way to being fit in faith. Let's hydrate. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to the Fit and Faith podcast. For those of you guys who are listening live, this might be a first, but it's not my first encounter with our incredible guest today. I've been reading his wisdom, and we now know that we're connected through the great world of publishing through our friend David Hancock, but you guys are in for a treat today on many levels with my new friend, Phil Mershon. You guys, he's an author. He is a musician, which you're going to hear soon. Uh, he is an expert in so many different realms of experiences, conferences, hosting events, social media. And so if you are tuned in with a lens of business or a lens of faith, we're going to go in both directions today. So I hope you guys enjoy the ride. Phil, thanks so much for being here.
0: Thank you for having me, Tamara. I can't wait to see where we go.
1: I know. That's the cool part about it. I think a lot of people have like these rhythms and they're like, hey, here are the 10 questions I'm going to ask you. Y'all, I never prep our guests ever. And so there's kind of some fun adrenaline that goes alongside that. And I do it intentionally because I want it to feel authentic because it is. And I also want them to feel those sense of jitters of like, where is this going to lead? I've been on the receiving end of podcast, Phil, and I've like left with my sweaty palms. Like, holy cow, I did not know that that was going to happen that way. But when we take a right turn and we get to go into the valleys of whether it's someone's past or someone's truth or someone's current situation, it always brings so much more value than when something is like pre-developed, I think, personally.
0: Oh, I totally agree. And that's what makes it fun for me because I'm not exactly. having the same interview as everywhere else, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's get started kind of in the origin story of where all of this evolved. And specifically, we're here to talk about your book. But I know someone's book is also an element of their story, their life, their, their experiences. And that's what you're a generator of is generating experiences. So let's talk about the origin of where that came from.
0: The origin of the book or the origin of how I even got into experiences?
1: I would say yes and, right? I think that's probably how it started was experiences themselves that then caused you to write a book on it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, what flashed into my brain was eighth grade and I had to create a magazine for an English class project. And I remember working with my mom on that and probably thinking after that, I'd never want to write a book. (laughs) I'm definitely not a writer. I had fun putting it together. Um, the world of experiences, I would say, really started kicking off soon after I graduated college. I studied economics in college, and I never would have predicted in high school or college that I'd be doing what I'm doing today. We have our 40th uh, class reunion uh, in, in a month, and I asked everybody, how likely would people have predicted that you're doing what what you would have thought in high school. And for me, it's very unlikely. No one would have expected me doing this. I was not a writer. I was not someone who liked to be in public. I was good at saxophone. I didn't mind being on stage singing, but speaking, heaven forbid. I didn't want anything to do with that. And so, (laughs) but it was after college, I was programming computers for Boeing military airplanes. They had a military division back then. And I remember going to this class called Total Quality Management. And if you've been around in business for a while, you remember that. And there's iterations of it today. And they taught us the process for brainstorming. And of course, I'd brainstorm before that, but I'd never been through that process to generate ideas. And before that, I would not have known that I'm an idea machine. But that was my first taste of it. And I said, I want to do that. I want to do what the guy up front's doing. I don't want to go back to my desk and program computers. Yeah, yeah. So I asked the guy, Hey, what does it, what did it take? he said, well, go become a pastor for 30 years, have a heart attack, and then have your cardiologist say, you can't go back to being a pastor. And he said, then you can be me. Like, well, (laughs) that doesn't sound like a really good career path. Um, But I still went and started studying what he was doing and left that job within the year and then started doing things. And five years later, I was doing what he was doing for Coke Industries, a large oil and gas company here in Kansas that you've probably heard of. And so um, it happened, and that's cool. probably where I really started to understand what experiences were, because after orientations and management trainings and different things that I was doing, people would come up and say, that was the best training I've ever been to. Well, wow. And I'm thinking, man, the bar is low. <laughs>
1: <'Cause>, <laughs> I didn't you know, really I'm, do a lot, but glad you're I'll, happy.
0: <laughs> but after a number of people start saying that, I was like, yeah. okay, what am I doing? Sure. And, you know, I was taking bits and pieces of my experience at that point in my life, and I'd say I've been building on it ever since. That's incredible. So the book is kind of the culmination of why does everyone say best conference ever, best training ever? They don't, they can't mean it, or maybe they do, or maybe there is something yeah. they're doing that others don't know about. So that's why I decided to write a book.
1: Well, when I was writing, or writing when I was reading the elements that you had passed over before we had an opportunity to chat, I was thinking about my head was like actually just like shaking, like yes, yes, yes. Not only from a receiving end of being the one in the audience, but also someone who loves to put on experiences myself. Mm. It's hard for me to even say conference rather than experience because a conference to me is like someone is speaking at you rather than experience is something you are also engaged with. And so that, even from that ideation uh, strategy that you were being engaged with that person who was speaking, you realized that there was something more inside of you that was being uh, amplified by that person. And so let's talk about like being in the receiving end of an experience type event versus putting it on. Because we we'll probably want to tap into both considering the audience that's listening in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And. It's funny, I'm, we're in the moment. So today yeah. I was talking to my doctor and I gave him a copy of the book. And I said, doctor, you're one of the few medical offices I've ever been to where I feel like you've created an experience mm. and I look forward to going. Most places I feel like I'm actually the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's things that they do. And I think great events do the same things. Yeah. So when I walk in there, I'm greeted warmly. And some of them know me by name. Yeah. Like they've gone to the trouble of figuring out who I am. And I'm like, I have no clue who you are. Yeah. I, hate that feeling. <laughs> I don't remember your name, but you know who I am. And I hope it's not because I'm that kind of patient. So they make you feel welcome. They've got a really great place for you to sit. They don't make you wait very long. There's constant, constant movement and they're not treating you like there's something ill about you that they want to value you. And I think similar things happen at great events. When I walk in and people recognize me, um, I remember Liz Lathan. So Liz Lathan works with Hot, but she used to be with Dell and IBM. And so okay. she creates events. And when she sees you, she gives you a hug. Yeah. She warmly greets you. And then she introduces you to someone like your long-lost friend and treasures mm-hmm. you. And I think that feeling of your family, you belong here. Um, you don't have to feel like you're a stranger. Yeah. You don't know anyone else in the room. I may be the only person that you recognize, but we're going to change that. She does a great job. I remember feeling that at several events that she's run. So I, I think those that. kinds of feelings are really important to have. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. You're actually like sparking my own ideation when I'm hosting events, the power of connection I've had a lot of people asked me even just recently, like, what would you say is your superpower? And Mm. my two that I've been saying most recently after a lot of like excavation on that, because I think a lot of people have a a lot of things they're good at, like you're probably really good at, we're going to talk about you're really good at playing the saxophone, which is one of my favorite instruments ever. And yet that doesn't necessarily mean that's the one thing that you would say in the forefront if somebody asked you what your superpower is. And so mine Mm. has been catalyzing and connecting. So I love to like push people off ledges. <laughs> My community has told me this many, many times. But like so gently off the smaller the back like ready, go. It's going to be fun on the way down and then connecting. So when you were saying that about her, mm-hmm. um what a, a dynamic thing to do almost instantaneously upon greeting or meeting someone um rather than waiting or lingering on that. I love yeah. that.
0: Well, I think one of the most awkward moments at events when you arrive is like you do get checked in. You do have that initial experience and then you're left to yourself and you're like, I don't know what to do next. So when someone says, well, we're going to make sure to overcome that, we're going to take you from the check in to your table. We're going to make sure that you get into some interesting conversations. Now, all of a sudden, they've they've taken that away and you could have all kinds of different ways that you solve that problem. Like that's that's there's not one path. Toward that, but I think it's really important to understand not everyone's going to feel comfortable immediately turning and introducing themselves as soon as they walk in. At least half your audience is going to feel very awkward and probably a lot higher percentage than that. And I think to your point, like about being a catalyst, because I'm also a catalyst. I don't take people to the edge of a cliff, but I love (laughs) to stir things up.
1: Okay, you do that. I'll I'll push them in. (laughs) um,
0: But I think if you don't make people feel comfortable. Yeah. They're going to run away before you have the chance to catalyze them. Totally, right?
1: totally. I think there's a I think there's a trust element, right? And and that's a huge part of event building. Is like, is are you curating trust even before they get in the room? And I yes. think that there's a lot that can happen in the forefront, and it's a part of the marketing piece. So I don't actually know mo- a lot about your experience with social media examiner. So how does that, like, play into what you're doing through the book? Which, by the way, y'all, you can see all the links in the show notes and stuff, but it's called Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. So it's not only a resource, um, it's a training manual, but it's also a really good read because he's got great stories in the inside, as you've already heard a couple of this morning.
0: Yeah, so I would say a lot of the ideas have come together since I've been with Social Media Examiner. So I've been there since 2010- Um, yeah, 2010 doing contract work and then became an employee in 2012. And so all 10 social media marketing worlds, I've been the director of events or now the director of experience, which really was what I was doing anyway. We just kind of legitimized what I was doing and took some things off my plate that I shouldn't have been doing anyway, Mm. which I think as we get older and more mature in business, we we understand what seats we belong in and what seats we don't belong in. So that's kind of what's happened over time. But I would say... You know, this has been a huge test tube or two huge lab for me of trying things out. And I would say the first year I wouldn't have been able to articulate what I can now. Even five years ago, there's things that I articulate today that I would not have said. So it's, you know, we're con- constantly learning. And even for next year, I'm going to have things that we're going to try that aren't in the book. Yeah. Cause I stopped writing the book last year. you yeah. probably like this too. We're continually learning and incorporating things and in communities that we're part of like experience is the buzzword this year. Yeah. experience and community is the buzzword in the world of events. And okay. everyone's talking about it. We're all learning. I, I'm creating an event in September and on Eventbrite literally after you check in the first event that Eventbrite suggests that you go to and yeah. is an event with almost the exact title of my book. Oh like, really? You've got to be kidding. Ah. Someone else is teaching about this. Like, can we stop that, please? You know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hold on, crossover. Hey, it might be good for the algorithm or for the SEO element as long as you get in there somehow.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: Or hit to them and be like, interestingly, I am publishing a book. This is what it's called. I should speak there. And they're like, hey.
0: Exactly. exactly. Well,
1: as – the element of trust, like, was kind of coming up. I'm thinking about the other side as well. It's not just the forefront of an experience. It's the ingrained piece, um, not just with the with the person who is putting it on, but the people who are there. And you mentioned community being another buzzword. How do you help the people who are there get connected without you being the one who's constantly kind of creating those connections?
0: Well, So one of the things I talk about in the book is that creating an event is a lot like baking a loaf of bread. And if you think about the primary ingredients, yeast is a primary ingredient to cause bread to rise. And it's a primary, community is a primary ingredient to, or networking is a primary ingredient to cause a community to rise and for an event to feel full. And if you don't have it stirred in to a loaf of bread, then the loaf's not going to rise evenly. If you don't have people feeling connected within an event then they're going to isolate. They're not going to really get the full value out of what's taking place. So the way that I get myself out of the way is I've, I try to find super connectors. Like, Tamara, if you were coming to our event, whether you were a speaker or whether you were an attendee, I would tap you on the shoulder and say, be you, yeah, Just be you. Um, I know you're going to do it anyway, but I want you to feel officially empowered because here's what's going to happen is if you on the first day of the event go out of your way to meet 20, 30, 40 people and connect them, whatever's within your your, your energy level, that's going to have a profound effect on everybody else at the event because yeah. you set a, a tone. And I, we have people who are officially volunteers yep. that that's what their job is. But long before anyone ever shows up. It starts in our Facebook group, has been where it's been the last few years. I'm sure in the future it'll be somewhere else, you know, yeah. not beholden to Meta, even though we're a social media conference. <laughs> totally. It's just the best place right now because it's free and, and yeah. everyone uses it. Um, but I'll get some people who I have been dubbed ambassadors, yep. which is an unofficial role, but it's official in the sense of hey, I want you to just come in the group early and I want you to come in the group often for the first couple of weeks. And I just want you to look for people and welcome them and join conversations and make sure that we get people engaged. And what ends up happening is the group takes on a life of its own. After two to four weeks, uh, sometimes faster, I won't need to check in as often. Like I'm in there all the time at the beginning. I'm I'm answering questions, I'm engaging people, I'm looking for connections, I'm setting the tone for everybody else. But I know that if I do that for a little while, the the natural connectors are going to take over and there's going to be conversations that start getting going that I don't even have to be part of. And so that's, to me, that's one of the most critical things is what you do before people ever show up. Then, secondarily, when they get there, have a way for them to connect with people in person. So, you have smaller places. Most people don't like walking into a huge 500 person networking room and starting to, to walk around and in introduce yeah. you got to break it down for them. So have small meetups, have we call them table talks. Others call them round tables, have places that you can go find people that are likely like you yeah. um, encourage people to make plans with people like themselves so that when they're there, they at least have one or two things on the calendar that they're looking forward to ideally on the first day. So those are some of the things that I do. And we've, we've gone to the trouble of hiring people that are called networking ambassadors, that that's what they do for a living. They're like, they're probably like you. Their superpower is. That sounds fun. I want to do that. Yeah. And they, you know, we have one gal, her name is Jillian Vorce, who when she would come, she would walk away with 200 people in her notes of people that she'd had a significant conversation and what her follow up next step was. Like, that is insane. I don't have that kind of capacity for
1: 200
0: significant conversations within an event. For me, if I had 10 or 20... Yeah, a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's very incredible. My husband, he'd probably be that person. I, I was telling him, we were just at this really huge event um, called Soul Fest up in Boston. They've been running it for 25 years. There's generally like 14,000 people attended last year. And this year, there was a big dip, one, because of the location. Um, they moved from where they were for 24 years to this space. There was about 5,000 there this year which is still for me, that's massive. I mean, it's got six different stages. There is literally an experience at every single stage because it had a different vibe based on the building, based on the mm. the musician. I mean, it was an experience within an experience. Uh, and I very much am like, I want to get on stage and just talk to all 4,000. And my husband is like, I want to talk to every single person one-on-one for about three hours for that one person. I'm like, oh, heaven's sake. So I'm sitting there like, I got to move, babe. We got to move on from this conversation. But he likes to dig wells and I like to touch Mm -hmm. and allow people to be seen and known. And so my seen and known Mm -hmm. is like that eye contact, give them a spurt of joy, and then move on to the next person. And he's like, let's go to the depths of their souls and lift them out of wherever it is that they are. And so I think it's important as you're talking, you said earlier even about yourself, to know your role. And to know mm-hmm. what that looks mm-hmm. like and not to try to, f- to fill the shoes of somebody else, but the power of having multiple different genres of volunteers or different ambassadors, as you're calling them, um, and and how and where do they fit into the experience. One thing that I love to do, even on retreats, and so I want you guys, if you're thinking, you're like, I don't host big conferences, I don't host 5,000-person conferences, and I don't think I ever want to – What about those intimate experiences are very similar. We bring three people from my team into a small 12-person retreat. Each of those women play a different role of creating emotion that goes high, emotion that goes low, emotion that goes high. Who's the safe space? Who's the listening ear? Who's the joy bomb, right? And so thinking through um, where your people are and who those people are that can fit in and create that experience, I think is super important.
0: I love that. And you're absolutely right. Every size group has those kinds of same rhythms. Yeah. You know, even if you're planning a 12 person retreat or dinner party for yeah, that matter, for sure. Um, there are different phases of the experience and different emotions needed. Mm-hmm. You know, your husband probably shouldn't be the person that's standing at the door meeting yeah. people when they first arrive. That should be you. Yeah. But your husband totally should be the person who at dinner, is taking someone into a, a deep place or you know on a retreat, he would be fantastic for the yeah. person who really sees this as a soul, you know, searching time. So there's yeah. different there's different cadences in different places. And that's one of the things I like to do is look at what is the timeline or the journey of the experience that you're creating look like and what are those emotions. And then how do you tap into the right emotion? I'm I'm working on a talk right now and you love this Tamara because you like music yeah. of how does music serve? So what role does music play different emotions? So like if you're wanting a really reflective time, probably rap music isn't the right <laughs> music to play then, right? Nah. But how often do you go to a place and they say, okay, I want you to take two minutes and I want you to think about something and the AV team decides they want to put music on and it's got words and it's got a beat. And all of a sudden, and if it's familiar, it's actually worse in that moment. And if it's That's unfamiliar because your mind goes to that song And all of a sudden, all you can think about is—I won't even try to make up a song right now. My favorite. (laughs) My favorite things just popped into my head. So all of a sudden I'm thinking about my favorite things and I'm supposed to be thinking about where's my soul at, you know, whatever, right? That's so
1: true. It is so true. And there's like uh, going to be a vibe curated based on the sound that you choose. And also to know that not everybody likes the same music as you. And so you have to be willing to also get outside of your own comfort zone as the host to say, okay, what's popular right now? What are people going to vibe with? What is the intention behind this next activity? I love that piece specifically for journaling. Don't put words into that because it literally will go down a rabbit hole. If that was an interesting word choice, especially for writers, right? Yes. We're like constantly going into a, let me create a mind map with that really quick. Um, one of the things too, Phil, I think we need to even tap into connected to your love of music, is how do people, if they have musicians or artists, there's got to be that, in my opinion, a best experience has entertainment where I am no longer... um self-reflective per se. I am no longer doing maybe hard or heart work or head work, but I'm like Mm. in this space of release, but still energized and synchronized with the community. So we're sharing an experience together rather than being inside so much. And I feel like personally, the best way to do that is to have musicians or artists Mm. of some sort, Have you seen the same thing? Is that something that you're really intense about? Is there language maybe that I'm not even using that makes sense for that?
0: Some of what you've just described deserves exploration because I'm not even sure if I've thought about all of what you just said, at least in the way you said it. But definitely music plays a role in every facet. I I use live music as much as possible because I think there's something communal and whenever possible i try to use musicians who are part of the community and not someone who's an outside expert mm. so you'll never see me bring in someone who's world famous that cost you know six figures or even yes. five figures to bring them in just because they're famous um if they they if they want to be part of the community <clears throat> then they'll they'll be there even yeah. if they are deserving sure. of larger fees um, but we are intentional about where we place it what kinds of places, what kinds of music we're doing when. So I've learned this the hard way. You know, you already mentioned that I'm a jazz saxophonist, and for a few years we played jazz as people were walking in because my theory was jazz is good music for background, and we want people to talk. That was the intent. We want people to turn and talk. Well, slowly over time, both staff – initially it was staff, but eventually it was attendees – said, you know, as good as Phil is, as great as that music is – it's not really my, my jam yeah. and it feels a little bit down. And, and I, you know, it took me at least four years, maybe five to hear those words. Cause yeah. I was like, you're, you're making you fun of my baby. You know? yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. I know better than you. I'm the, yeah. the guy. Look like, totally. after a while, I was like, wait a second, who is our audience? Yeah. So I started asking who is the audience? Yeah. And I realized it's actually a woman in her thirties or forties and probably what she's listening to and forgive the stereotype, but as she's driving the kids to soccer, um, is not jazz. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so, so right. And that and, was my overlap with jazz. Like I, In middle school, in order for me to go to sleep every single night, I put on jazz music. And so for about three and a half years, that was the only thing I would listen to. And that's how I would fall asleep every single night. And so whenever I hear specifically saxophone, I'm like, put into this state of somber. Um, but I'm also so inquisitive because I did it. I, I like Listen to it mentally versus visually, and so now whenever I see someone play, I'm like so enthralled by how it actually comes out of their mouth and their fingers and all the things. And so I know you have your sax nearby. You, you want to play for the fan. I will,
0: but I want to. I want to tell you a really funny, very personal story. Okay, please, please. Okay, which will probably just totally change your memory of being a kid with the (laughs) guys, but. But my kids would instantly want to tell you this, so because you're you're likable. So <laughs> I'm
1: excited.
0: So on romantic nights we play jazz. I'll just say yep. that. Okay,
1: the, I hear you. Check.
0: And and the kids could hear it. So that's all uh, you have to say.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome! Oh, so great. So for
0: one for one of them that's still traumatic. The other right, two they're like I
1: can't do it. The other no
0: like it, but they wouldn't let us name one of our dogs Jazz because of it. So. All right, so oh, that's what,
1: a great note.
0: Would you uh let's let's make this an experience? Yeah, so please. You just came out of the Soul Fest, and your audience, you know, is all about creating experiences. It sounds like, and obviously, sure. you're full of life. So let's give me um give me a a, a story or give me Ooh. a tone that you want to set right now. Or cause oh I don't I don't have anything in my mind yet. Let's um, go. So. Let's
1: go. Like. You said before that people were saying it's somber, but let's go like upbeat joy, kind of like a little, a little jig maybe to it.
0: All right. We'll get a little bit of joy. All right. Uh, When you think of joy, what do you think of? What makes you joyful?
1: The first image that's coming to mind, you know, like the Charlie Brown dance where he's like dancing and it, whether it's raining or not, he's just like always so happy.
0: All right. All right. I love it. All right. So we're going to go for a little joyful dance here. Um, (laughs)
1: So for those who are listening and not also watching, he also just did like the shoulder jive that Charlie Brown would have done while he was playing. (laughs) (laughs) That is so beautiful. It's such a talent. There's just something about it that even the nights, the romance nights, right? We used to listen to a saxophone during like dinner parties, right? right? And recently we did for my husband's 40th, we did Steel Drums. And it was such an awesome, it like literally shifted the atmosphere at what is usually this like coffee house kind of somber place. It just brought the life to the party. So you guys have to consider music from every element and where are you putting it in and how is it creating that experience for people? It's also a really great, you know how everybody talks about the weather when they come in somewhere? (laughs) It kind of slices that dull conversation and and you have something else to conversate about.
0: Yeah. That's by the way, that was a completely original composition in the moment. You'll never oh hear it again. God, that's um, that's so one of the things I like to do is, you know, I don't like to be scripted, um, but yeah, to your point, amazing. I remember going to inbound up in Boston, since yeah. we're just in Boston. Yeah. And I love one of the things that they do is they'll bring ensembles from the community into the lobby. And so you walk into the building and there's a string ensemble of local students playing with professors there's other kinds of ensembles we've had a steel drum band yes. out in the in the audience you know kind of trying to be um trying to get the flavor of san diego so Ooh, i think cool. be resourceful about like yeah. what is the place where you are what's the vibe that you're looking for one year we had street dancers dancing too. So a steel drum cool. band which was the best. Like they were all over it. They they brought the place to life. Um, Wow. It's so much fun. So
1: it's so good.
0: What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists. The way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact.
1: Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. And you also have something fun in your bio that I wanted to take note to, because Uh another thing that's been layered into some of the events that I've had is like the physical connectivity. So like dancing, obviously alongside music comes into play, but that can kind of get uncomfortable for strangers. They're like, I don't know how to go with this or what does that look like? But you mentioned that you're a pickleball enthusiast, which I've never played, but Uh how much fun it is to have people participate in an activity such as this. Um, Mm -hmm. I was at a conference in uh, New York City and we went running, like the 5 a.m. club went running at the um, Central Park. And it was like so fun to get outside of like your buttoned up, whatever it is that you wear genre of conference clothes and see each other in just like their normal morning routine. So how have you ever incorporated, maybe it's pickleball, maybe not, um, the play side of a conference?
0: Yeah, pickleball is too recent in its popularity <laughs> and it's a little more challenging to find the place to do it. Yeah. Although I would love to. Honestly, we it talked about so renting fun. one of the, one of the halls, the exhibit halls and putting the lines down, but it's slippery and people yeah. would actually get injured and we didn't want that insurance yeah. risk. But things we have done. So, you know, to your point, we've gone on networking walks and yep. runs. So San Diego is where we usually do our conference. So most people love getting up early. Love it there. You got, And you always have the early morning crowd and you have the late night crowd. So true. But we've done that. We've done yoga classes. We've hired instructors to do fitness classes in the hotel gyms, Um, you know, breathing exercises. We've had a massage therapist who's there mostly teaching people to breathe because you can't do, you know, massages at scale. But you can do classes where you're teaching people things like that. Even in like prepare. Oh, no, actually the best one. Do you know who Lizzie Williamson is? Are you Not familiar with hand. that name? No. So she's known as the two-minute movement um, oh. gal or something. I forget okay. what her title is. But she uh, she goes to conferences, but it started as a mom trying to figure out, how do I work in an exercise routine that fits around kids? Cool. And she realized, you know what? I can always find two minutes to do something. So she just started doing little two-minute hits, and she started sharing it with friends, and eventually it got picked up by the news, and then huh. – conferences start to bring her in. And so she'll get up on stage and lead everybody in a two to four minute fitness little break. And they're wow. teaching them things they can do back at home since most of us work remotely right. and need things to do. And we get up from our desk. Like see, that was probably the number one hit. Although the, the networking walks are always fun. Yeah. We don't get as many people doing that. Right. Um, so those are a few things we've That's done. Awesome. What about you? What else have you done?
1: Uh, we had a gal last year come to my conference and she did this like, It was kind of journaling after lunch. You always find that like lull in an event, Mm -hmm. right? And so Mm -hmm. she came in and did this like full body, like screaming activity and like stance. She like shifted your stance in the way that you stand. And then she had you like process all of the things that you just did and why was it uncomfortable? And why was it something new? And all of these pieces. And how could we take those thoughts and put them into our, our regular routine? Um, it was really powerful for a post lunch experience. I wasn't sure if people were going to hurl their lunch up at one point or if it was exactly what they needed to move and get out of their like somber space or their, their sleepy space. And I think it worked on the, on the first thing without the throw up. So we were really happy about that. Um, one of the things I was thinking about because we had somebody on live from Nova Scotia, which hello, we're so excited that you're here with us on the broadcast. Um, is what about virtual? I mean, obviously we know since COVID, a lot of things went virtual. I'm on virtual summits, too many to count. And we're actually infusing a really big virtual element to our conference later this year. And I want it to have like, Almost like, you know what, the the mega churches, they have the pre-conference or I shouldn't call it a conference, uh, pre-service experience where they're talking to people, they're getting people hype about something new that's going on. How do you help the virtual people feel like they are a part of the in-person experience?
0: I am still in pursuit of learning that. Like this whole hybrid thing is something that we're still learning about. I feel like we don't do it as well as I'd like us to. But I think it's those kinds of things. You've got to have a team that that is their job. They're not worried about the in-person conference. They're worried about the people that are watching. And even if there's somebody on site that needs to be managing the technology, their primary focus is those hundreds of people are participating virtually, and yep. so they're they're engaging in conversations. And we our MC will create special content yeah. that's just for that audience. And hey, you know, I want to give you some insider tips of things that are going on here, and no one else gets to see it. Like yeah. he records it uh, just for that audience, usually pre-recorded, just because you right. can't do do yeah. them at the same time. I have seen events though that have a an MC team that's in a different room. Yep. And they are, they live for the uh, online pers- um, audience. And I think that's actually a really smart move if you've got yeah. the space, the place where that can happen. Yeah. Because um, then they can really care for that audience almost like it's a separate event. I've That's what people say is treat it like it's a separate yeah. event instead of treating it like you'd have one event with two audiences. Right. Um because I think that's the danger that we've fallen into and others sure. have fallen into is when you try to say, well, it's just part of the same audience. Well, no, their needs are different.
1: Yeah. But it takes to
0: keep them engaged is different.
1: Yeah. Um, we Very all know much that, so.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: And so we are, this is the first year that we're trying it with that lens. So we've had it where it's live and people are virtual, but other than maybe a couple shout outs from the stage, everything else is just streamed to YouTube and you can comment, Right. right? So right. this year, we're using a really amazing venue. I'll have to get you connected with Steven Scoggins. Um, he's actually doing another venue in another part of the country, too, that might be a little bit closer um, if San Diego is your hotspot. I think it's like middle America, like Cincinnati, I think they're going to. I don't know if that's middle mm. America. Not quite. I'm terrible at, at geography, quite. y'all. I'm like, it's kind <laughs> of not. It's northeast, I think. Anyway, I'm terrible at geography. Um, Anyhow, he has that same thing set up where he has a whole room that is dedicated to the virtual experience, its own camera, its own feed. It's got like the, um, the Zoom kind of cast in the back so you can see all the people. It's got the live chat feed going, and we have two people who are going to host just that that also have to integrate with the main stage MCs. We're going to have breakouts. When we have breakouts in person, they'll have breakouts during it. I have zero idea how it's going to work out. So I'll give you all my notes afterwards. I am very hopeful and we're excited about what they're going to experience. That's going to be totally different even than the people that are inside of the room, but still under the same guise of education and the same incense of mission. Um, But it's going to be, it's going to be tricky because I'm going to be processing being on main stage, but also like, how are these other people being nurtured and loved on and connected to what it is that we're doing, um, So yeah, I, I'm, I'm very curious how it's going to happen, but we've got lots of plans in place that, and his, he's an expert, the person who is the venue host, like that's his main thing. But one way that we are integrating them together is when you're inside of the main stage space at his venue, he has six huge screens, uh, walls, uh, downside of you. So you're all looking towards main stage, but beside you is the zoom rooms. So you'll see the Zoom rooms like cast it up and everybody who will also be watching what will appear like main stage at that point, which is what they will be seeing. Um, but it's going to feel like, okay, I'm in this room of 200 people. Whoa, I'm actually in this room of 2000 people with all the Zoom um, people online as well.
0: Yeah, I think when you can do that, if you've got that many people watching live, it really does help you feel connected yeah. to real faces and real people. One of the dangers of the virtual audience is to devalue them because they probably haven't paid as much. Right. right? You, probably, right. you can charge a lot more yep. to somebody who's going to come in person because the costs are a lot more, but oh, the perceived so value is also higher. But I think if we treat them as, as a secondary audience and they're second class, then they're going to yeah. feel that. And the whole reason that you want them there, one of the right. reasons, of, you know, your main reason is you want them to get the same transformation yep. Yep. that you're offering the main audience. A second reason, though, is you hope that the next time you do it in person, they say, "You know what? If that was so good online, I wonder how much better it will be totally. in person." And totally. So if you can create that experience, they're they're going to be saying, "I can't wait till I can get the boss to approve that, or I can save enough yeah. money to do that, or whatever." We had a guy from uh, India yeah. who could only afford to come in person. After four years, but he wow. had been coming online for three years. He was saving his money up, so awesome. and he finally was able to make it. And it was like he had—I think he thought he was in heaven. I'm not Aww. sure, but,
1: <laughs> but well, he was that that so excited. That means you host a really good ex- event for someone to be like yearning to like get to that space. Like that's a goal on someone's vision board. What an yes. honor. Yes.
0: yes. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So that's the reason the treasure that online audience. And I think what you're doing is really smart training your speakers to make sure they're aware that they're talking to two audiences at once. Yeah, that's good. I think churches do that really well. Like I I love watching Craig Rochelle at life church. Um, We used to go there, but I still watch him and he's always engaging that online audience. He's really good at bringing them in and it's, it's a gimmick, but it works because if you get them talking you know, if you're watching right now, I want you to type in the chat this phrase, yellow. I don't know,
1: whatever <laughs> yellow, is relevant. You know. <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to say. I'm so excited you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does make a difference, though. People start interacting. and That's awesome. And yes. so it is. It's being mindful because obviously the person that's there is not dropping an emoji or doing any of those things. Um, someone that I think that does a really good job of it, and specifically during COVID, I saw it because I was actually engaged in it was um, Pedro Adeo when he did the 100X conference and he sends you those like hand-holding things. And so you see people's like fire stick going through, you see people's prayer hands going through. And so I think the most like critical part, if you're a listener to this and you're like, this is awesome. I have no idea. This feels cumbersome because you're thinking about so many things is really just like think back to all the events you've gone to and what stuck, at, stuck out stood out as a like things that you loved and that were memorable and what were the things that you're like holy cow I want to avoid that at all costs and if you can simply write those two columns down you're well on your way to creating a really amazing event for the person that's going to match your avatar that might be different than Phil or mine um, but it's going to be the people that you want to connect with and why you want to connect with them. And people are going to continue to come if you continue to say yes. I think that's the next thing I'd love for you to share about because there is a big cost investment for an event host that comes out the gate before you ever know if someone's going to buy a ticket. How have you managed the, um, investment side of creating an event and, um, the kind of the fear factor, the scarcity mentality of like, is anybody going to come to this um, two, three months away from our conference and I only have this many tickets sold? And what does the marketing side of it look like?
0: Yeah. So that's a reality. Yeah. You, know, and you. We've gotten wiser. I think the pandemic taught us this because pre-pandemic, it felt like we could stick up an advertisement and people just bought.
1: Right. <laughs> you know, it right. didn't
0: feel like it was that hard. Um, every year, year after year after year, you know, we were growing. There were yeah. no... No downticks until the pandemic hit. And so, but, you know, I look at scarcity and look at those constraints as opportunity. Mm. So they actually help you be more creative Yeah, because, you know, you're probably familiar with Saturday Night Live and those guys have to produce a show every week. And that constraint brings out their best creativity and Mm. they loved it. Mm. They said, you know, if you, if you gave us a month, I don't know that the show would be any better. Right. So there's a forced creativity that comes through that constraint and money is a constraint. Yeah. So, you know, our production company says, "Okay, just tell us what your what your budget is. Um, that way we can say what's the best show we can make for X amount of dollars. 100,000, 200,000, half a million, whatever your budget is." Yeah. Um, they know now here's the constraint and that's also the constraint that you're living in. But also one of the things we've learned to do is budget on three different tiers. You know, mm-hmm. so we have a low, middle and high, and then there's you know, the go to the moon budget, which we don't yeah. even write right, down. Yeah. Cause if we get to that level, we've we never got to that level. Um, we'll, we'll revisit everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, totally. But that way, you know what you're I charting that toward.
1: Yeah. yeah I so you,
0: you know, to do the event at all, you've got a minimal budget. Yep. that you know you're expecting to hit a certain number let's say it's 1000 people or 100 people if you're doing a smaller event yep. so you know that you've got to do that and you're going to do it you're going to spend that much pretty much no matter what yep. like there's certain things that the costs don't go up and down depending on how many people you have coming yep. but there's other things that are marginal costs that you're going to raise if you know you're going to hit a middle and a high ground yeah but i that's what i would encourage you to that's do is idea. look at those constraints and say you know what all right, we can't. We used to do this really huge party on the USS Midway. Cool. Um, but it would be a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And that's a, that's a lot of money to spend. Um, and so we're saying, well, how can we create a great experience uh, but not spend that much? And we had some hiccups trying to figure that answer out. I've yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. been always nailed out of the park, and it's hard to compete yeah. with that experience, let's be honest. Yeah, for real. But there are other ways to create experiences. And so you lean into, well, what are the human experiences Mm -hmm. that people are coming from? And I want to, I want to hark back to something you just said right before you asked that question, because you talked about looking at your experience at events and Mm -hmm. looking at those places that were great and they were terrible. Mm -hmm. That's a great thing to do. But what I would also add to that is think about your customer, how like that, how much are you like them? Mm -hmm. Because their experience might be different than yours. Very true. So where are they hanging up? Where are they getting hung up? Ask them those questions. They'll tell you. They'll be glad to tell you. You know. You know what? That was really cheesy when you did this, <laughs> or I loved it when you did that. And you might have hated the thing yeah. they loved, and loved the thing they hated.
1: That's so good. you got to take
0: yourself out of the equation and That's realize good. I'm not planning this event for me. You know, Tamara, you're probably much closer to the person that I am planning the event for. yeah, So I'm, I'm planning the event for you and people like you. So I need to know what makes you tick and what causes you to turn off and want to leave.
1: That's great.
0: So that's just an important thing to to do is it's really hard. We want to plan something that we're going to love. Yeah. And sometimes it's the same, but it's not always the same. And you need to know where those differences are.
1: That's great insight. Especially I'm thinking about like uh, one of our nonprofits who we love is Gen Y. And like as we get older, that or that population, we feel further removed from this younger high school, middle school. They're obviously not Generation Y is not a thing, so don't get confused. We're just like asking them to ask why. It's a mental health advocacy experience. But, you know, they've got um, rap artists and dancers and hip-hop artists and all these people that like, I like that. But if you were to say, Tamara, what did you listen to last night in your own free time? that's not what I listen to. And so you have to immerse yourself into that avatar experience. That's really, really good. And so you're so on point with that because I know a lot of men who host events for women or vice versa, women who host events for men. I mean, there's like so much that we could go into from a psychological, physiological, sociological, financial is also super important. One of the things that I find friction in um, is I have, I'm kind of, I'll just call myself bougie, when it comes to good food. Okay, I am a foodie, I love good food, and I also have a high caliber of excellence for how I want my food presented to me. And mm. so I, the it was last year's conference? Yeah, last year's conference. So two years ago, we had a plated five-course meal for our VIPs. And it was white linen. It was super nice. Like they were serving over your shoulder. Was it necessary? Probably not. But it felt really lovely, right? Like you loved it, the experience. Then last year, about 30 days out, we had not hit our numbers. So speaking to the same budget thing that you're talking about, we had already curated contracts with all of these higher-end companies. There was going to be that high-end experience, and then there was going to be another one for general admission. And we had to pull the contracts and in the pulling of the contracts, we brought in um, some really unique food trucks, which I'm cool with food trucks. I love food trucks. But it changed the entire dynamic of what I imagined in my head this was going to look like. And um, it ended up being some of the people's favorite part of the event because of the networking and the community that took place versus just being at a 10-person really fancy roundtable. And so now going into the next year, I'm like, well, golly, how do I make it kind of a yes and, a little bit of both? Yes. Um, and there's always going to be new ideas that come. There's always going to be new like problems that are curated that then, as you said in the very beginning of this conversation, opportunities. Opportunities for us to grow and ex- exchange new value with the people that are there and um, one thing that we did that's going to be different this year than in the past and something I'd love to hear your perspective on is we decided not to have a general admission VIP and premier pass. We decided everyone is VIP. It's kind of a lens through our faith, right? And like that there's no hierarchy in the kingdom. Everyone is treated the same in the fa- royal family, all of that. Um, but also like, the the person who comes for general admission is pretty much getting the exact same experience as the VIP, but like maybe a a private party or a private room or maybe access to something. And I wanted everyone to have the same access. What is your thought on doing that first off? And is there um, a lens in which it could be done really well, or I could make a mistake?
0: So we, for the most part, have followed the new philosophy that you're following of Okay. Having one ticket mm-hmm. and everyone gets it, like all access is all access. Yep. Now we've we've had some uh, lower level tickets, a marketer ticket and a community ticket that are totally based on what you have access to and what you get. Okay. Um, so if you if you don't want to pay as much and you don't really care about recordings and you don't want workshops, then you can get a marketer ticket. And if you all you really care about is networking and keynotes, then you can get a community ticket. Hmm. So those have more been marketing tactics.
1: Cool. Yeah. Price price
0: anchoring kinds of things. Yep. We've talked about creating experiences that people might be willing to pay extra for. Yep. Um, but we haven't done it to date. Um, partly because we don't want to create a class system. So if it's going to be something extra, it needs to be something like, okay, well, yeah, you know, I'm going to pay an extra thousand dollars because I really do want this extra experience, an extra day, an extra something that, you know, yeah, the average marketer doesn't really care about. So I think okay. your your ethos that you're trying to create is really important because, like, we try to create no barriers between speakers yes. and no no hierarchy in terms of VIPs. Now we've we've talked about things like fast passes. Yeah, you know, Definitely. like a Disney where yeah. you're, hey, if you you get a couple of fast passes and you can get a front row seat, but you only get to use it once.
1: That's um, cool. Or,
0: we haven't done it because, you know, the technology and oh, the methods yeah. of doing it, but I think it's, it brings a, a level of fun. Yeah. And it's like okay, you have some optionality. You can play huh. this card at the moment that you want, and we'll save those seats up until five minutes before or something. You know, we've, That's
1: cool. Again,
0: I, I, I've not seen anyone do it. Um, but I think it'd be really fun to do it. Yeah, I love uh,
1: that idea. My kids always that- want me to get the fast pass when we go to the water park, and I'm like, "Nope, we're good. We're just going to wait in line, and we're going to create community when we're in line. We're going to play games. We're gonna-. and they're like, "Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, they don't want to do that."
0: Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's one of the more boring parts, in my opinion, of amusement yeah. parks is when you have to stand in line. Totally. But if you, if it's an inevitability, then yeah. how do you reinvent it and make yeah. it exciting? And I think Disney actually yeah. tries to create things that happen. And I think we can yeah. at our events too, is really good. there's some inevit- inevitable moments that are going to feel more boring than others. Yeah. So how do sure. you, how do you bring life to that? What do you do in those moments? Cause it, it can't all be tens on a scale of one to 10. Right. <laughs> so Right.
1: A hundred percent. Okay. So I have a final question for you that I think is, is blended not only to our beliefs, but also to the listener when it comes to what can be friction oriented for mm-hmm. people in the marketplace. And that is like, how do you integrate a faith element if you do or don't at all? I know that you've done a ton of customized events at churches and then Mm -hmm. conferences that are secular as well. Um, We are obviously pretty forward in our faith experience with people's faith and business collision conference. So they know what they're getting themselves into. Um, But how would you say people can integrate faith effectively?
0: So don't shy away from it, but don't make it Focus. So you know, we've got people at our audience at our events that are of all different faith persuasions. Even on our staff team, yeah. And so, even though several of us in leadership are strong, devout Christians, we don't we don't make it a Christian conference. We've had people think it is, yeah, because we do invite people who are Christians to come early and pray. Cool. Um, We actually do a Jericho walk around the building. Uh, Cool. Mostly just to pray together and connect, and Love that. I don't I don't know if anything is happening in the heavenlies when we do that. I think maybe, but yes, definitely sure. opening ourselves up to what does God want to do. Mm-hmm. So you can do some things like that that are much more quiet, like Love table that. talks we talked about. So there's always going to be a, a gathering of people who are in faith-based or organizations mm-hmm. that they can raise their hand and go to meetups, go to conversations that are in that place. Um, I've gotten in trouble. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, formally trained as a pastor, and been a pastor. And so, when I say things about God from the stage, yeah, you know, I've gotten yeah. in trouble for it. And yeah. so, I'm careful. I'm yeah. um, I'm in my heart praying all the time, but yeah. I'm also not just you know trying to preach, yeah. Yeah. Um, saying you must you know you must become a Christian or you're you know it's there's a place for it. And yeah. we we look for those to happen in the hallway in natural conversations, and they usually do. So, you know, you you have to know your audience, know your event. Yeah. Um, I started a group as a result of all these people who were contacting me, who are believers, who cool. are marketers, who feel disconnected yeah. from other marketers who are of faith, and said, you know what? There's a lot of them. I I always meet them because they know I'm a Christian. Yeah. So they always come to me. So let's just create an or a group. That's good. Um, it's. You know, it's totally free right now, but it's something yeah. that's cool because again, they're, they're still feeling isolated and disconnected and have great needs in prayer. And so,
1: yeah,
0: watch what if you're an, a leader and organizer, watch for those opportunities to connect others and maybe an organization will arise. Maybe you can send them your way, Tamara, yeah. or yeah highway or some other place.
1: Yeah, it's a great idea. I just always am like curious how to navigate that when it comes into like, um, something that's not faith oriented. I was at a conference that I spoke at with magic Johnson earlier this year. And most people know that magic Johnson is in his faith. And some people who are speaking are in their faith, but it was definitely not a God centric at all conference. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that's really how I show up uh, in most of the places that I am. And it's not necessarily that I'm like preaching or I have a Bible in my hand. Right. It's just like falls out because that's where I spend time. And, uh, I was, in that space, and it was so dynamic to see the people who would just come up to you and be like, are you? Yes, you are. And without you ever even saying anything. Yeah. Um, and so that is just showing the fruit, I believe. And I think that we have a power and an opportunity and authority to do that. Um, but it's important to give, let there be an outlet and a sense of connectivity on the other side of it um, which I think is the way that i love to close because we talked about the forefront, we talked about the marketing, we talked about the experience inside, we talked about your forefront. What is the vision for where you're going? And after someone is in an experience, how can we keep them engaged afterward, whether there's another conference to come or not? What are your kind of tactics on that?
0: Yeah, so I think that is one of the biggest places we as event organizers fall down. Yeah. Like we create we stir up this change you know, you're a catalyst I'm a catalyst amazing things happen and then serving them afterwards and it's especially at an event like the ones I produce where they're coming for lots of different reasons they have lots of different things that happen like literally if 2,000 people are there 2,000 journeys have happened and 2,000 decisions have taken place that go a lot of different ways but yeah. supporting them in taking those next steps, and my mind starts probably a month before the conference. Hmm. I think you've got to actually go into an event with a mindset of how am I going to take this back home? And that starts with creating a plan while I'm there, probably having a buffer between the conference and going back home and getting buried in the craziness of life. And it could be a half day, could be a couple hours, could be a full day somewhere before you re reenter. Um, it's kind of like the ask when the astronauts come back to earth, there's this re-entry period that they have. You know, I think about three weeks where they have to readjust if they've been yeah. on the space station or somewhere. So we don't do that. Usually yeah. you, you come home, you get off the plane, you go right back to the home, you get all the things, the kids and husband are asking you. And then the next day your staff is asking you. Totally. There wasn't a buffer there. So plan a buffer. That's yeah, like so good. tip number one to myself, to you, to everyone who's listening Tip number two is help people identify just a couple of things. I yeah. think what's dangerous is we walk away with 10 ideas of things that we want to change. We're not going to do it. If you have more than three on your list, um, you're probably not going to do it. Yeah, so if sure. you walk away with one, two, or three things that you're going to implement, hmm. and I, I there's a guy named Jeff Hurt. I don't know if you know him, yeah. but he's uh-uh. with them. Velvet Chainsaw, it's a consulting firm, Okay. he did this, and he walked through an exercise at an event I went to, which is to me the best, where he had us write down those three things, put them in sticky note form, Mm. put them up on a timeline so we remember where it happened within the event, like anchoring it in time. Oh, this happened during Tamara's session when she talked about being Mm. prophetic in my saxophone playing. Tell me making stuff up here.
1: It's good. It's good. (laughs) Let's
0: go. um, And so now I remember when it happened. And then we did that with three stickies. And then we would go back to our our chairs. And he said, now you've got some crayons and some paper. I want you to draw a picture of that story. And I want you to hand it now to a neighbor. And I want them to tell you what they think that picture says. And then you clarify the story. So now you've, you've drawn something, yep. you've brought story into it, you've invited someone else into it, you've had a chance to tell the story in a fun way, and then he said, I want you to meet someone you've never met before, and I want you to make an appointment with them for three weeks from today, and you're going to follow up and ask them how they're doing on their three things. Get them to tell you what those three things are, and then follow up. So now all of a sudden... Wow. You've got built-in accountability. You've started telling the story. You've anchored it in time. You've wow. made choices. But it was all fun. So it's
1: like, good.
0: And it's rooted in, in psychology. Like, we know we're reinforcing something, because you know this probably as well oh, as I yeah. do, that if you don't do that, 90% of what you've lost in the event will be lost within 30 days. Yeah. But if you've anchored it, if you've done the reinforcing, then you're going to retain it much more likely. And, you know, I know my experience when that happened is – those three things I could have told you for quite a while. And I still can tell you that's the first place I learned how to unconference. Yeah. Um, it's another place where this whole idea of what I wrote about in the book called time standing still. That's the first place that I solidified that idea. Cool. Um, I know those two or the three things are still in my brain. I don't remember the third, but it doesn't yeah. matter.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably became
0: part of who I am anyway. <laughs> so that's, but that's so my cool. thought is. Yeah. Figure out a deliberate way that you're helping people yeah. to take it back home, even if you're not in a position to walk with them. Like if it's a business, then and you're walking with them yeah. anyway, and ongoing consulting, that's different. Yeah, you you have the opportunity, but if you don't, if this yeah. is just like an event and you may not have a relationship later, yeah, um, they're going to move on. You might have a chance for a couple of weeks where they remember and they stay active, okay. but if you've given them the tools, then they will still thank you and remember.
1: Yeah, I love that so much. And I always think about like discipleship, right? And that Mm. concept connected to what is it when you have a conference, there should also be an element of discipleship. But I love that you're saying like, That might not be necessary for every event. That might not be necessary for every conference. But how can you create a discipleship experience internally with the people that are there at the conference together, um, sharpening each other thereafter, whether it's a faith-based thing or not? Like, that's a really cool way to do it. So I'm so grateful that we got to end on that note. I still want to ask. For you personally, Phil, like what's the next step? So you've got the book out. Again, you guys, you can get it on all places, all platforms. We actually coincidentally published with the same uh, publisher. We didn't even know that. And so again, it's unforgettable, the art and science of creating memorable experiences. It's got an elephant on the front, which is one of my favorite animals. And there's a lot of reasons to that. So you've got to play in. There it is right there. Check it out. And you saw it in the intro trailer as well. So cute. So cute. What are you hoping to do? What's the vision of where you want to take this?
0: I want to help other people create unforgettable experiences, um, not just for myself. So I'm hoping the book leads to that. But I know oftentimes books aren't enough. So we'll see what comes in terms of specific outcomes. But I'd love to speak. So if you've got an event where I can speak and share ideas, I will be doing some workshops cool. and just kind of experimenting with where do people, how do people want to learn about this? Yeah. I want to add value. Um, I've got to do it in ways that are supportive of having a full-time job at the moment. Yep. Um, so what's next is, we'll keep leaning into this, the, the official launch isn't for a month. Yep. So we've got another few weeks um, for pre-orders, but people might watch this after September 5th. So
1: 100 um, percent already
0: out at that point in time, so yeah, I think speaking, uh, workshops, teaching about this. I know another book's going to come. Um, I don't couldn't tell you yet what it's about, but there's probably several books just going deeper yeah. into some of the things that are in this book. I feel like some of those chapters are just like the headwaters, yeah, um,
1: yeah. And I think for somebody who's just stepping into it, and I think experiences are what a lot of people, there's like first immersion, it's an amazing opportunity for that. But then it also stemmed this deeper conversation when I was just reading those 10 pages. I'm like, man, that's really good. I love to think about the psychological element of those particular things, and then especially spiritual too. So there's so much fun that you can have with each chapter even of the book and how it could play into serving other people for a longevity, like a series afterwards. So I'm excited for you for that, and we're just grateful to have you on the show today. I feel like I was just like coming up with some ideas and learning from you in the process, and so I know that it's going to serve a lot of people, whether it's their first event or I'm many, many, many decades into event planning, and so it's really, really cool to fellow uh, have a fellow conversation with people who get it because not a lot yeah. of people get all the ins and outs and the highs and lows, and let me just tell you, y'all, a lot of people think that events are just a lot of highs because you see the highlight, but we mentioned some of the trials that go into it, and it's important to just remember ultimately event planning and experience creating is about enduring so that there can be an experience because otherwise it stops
0: mm, very well said thank you for thank you for having me on, tamara. I love this conversation i. Honestly, wish we could keep going for hours, but
1: <laughs> I will right? happen
0: in another day.
1: <laughs> we absolutely will, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning into the Fit and Faith podcast. And be sure to get Phil's book in all of the places that you can buy it, bookstores included, because it's an experience there, um, after September 5th. All right? Bye, y'all. We're totally in this together and we appreciate the extra step taken. over there. Check it out. And thanks again Life Audio for being you.
0: There's nothing in this world that he cannot do if we truly allow his love.
1: We can do nothing without him. Anything that we do apart from him is not something that's permanent. All
0: need is grace. That's everybody. We are all broken people on our way to a place that we believe is, is waiting on us in heaven. You can find more of Bridges with Monica
1: Schmelter at lifeaudio.com.
0: In Christ, we are all one family. Amen.